Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. Today marks the final installment of the Re-Vision message series. I've been hoping to help you re-envision the life that God has called you to live in this world, and He calls you to be more than a conqueror. Unfortunately, most Christians believe that they've already been conquered. They believe they have no power, no strength, no ability. What does it mean to live life as more than a conqueror and defeat the evil in this world today? Paul writes to the church at Rome, and he writes to you and to me, and he makes this statement about us that I struggle with from time to time. He says this about you and about me in Romans 8. He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What could this possibly mean? I am more than a conqueror. In fact, that's first blank of your page. Me, more than a conqueror. Me, I'm a conqueror. Is that really what God wants to say to me today? Because most days I don't feel like a conqueror. Most days I feel pretty conquered. You know, most days I kind of feel knocked down and beaten around. A lot of days I feel defeated and deflated. I feel like the people I thought loved me don't love me. The things I thought I could trust in, I don't trust in anymore. I feel tired and foolish. I feel inexperienced and ill-equipped, insufficient. Yet Paul tells us, we are more than conquerors. Seems like God has given Paul a different vision for my life than I have for my own. Seems like Paul can see something about me that I lose sight of from time to time. And that's kind of what this whole series has been about. It's about revisioning your life the way God sees it. To see your identity and your purpose and your calling the way God sees it instead of the way we tend to see it. Because for far too long, we've all listened to the false narrative about ourselves. We've paid attention to the fake news about ourselves, and we've become the victim of that cheap, worthless story, right? I mean, sure, there was a time when you thought this story was all about you. It was all about you building your kingdom. It was all about you protecting and taking care of yourself. It was all about you. It centered around you. It was all about you and yours. It's you, your story, that cheap, hollow story. But that story doesn't make you a good little Christian. It makes you a rebel against a holy God. It makes you the builder of an enemy kingdom against the one true God. It makes you an unwitting accomplish, accomplice in the accuser's attempt to overthrow the one true king. It makes you an unwitting listener to the fake news, building your kingdom on lies about who you are and about who God is. And it puts you under God's judgment. But one day the king 
stepped into your life. And instead of giving you what you deserved, he loved you. And he served you. He lived his life here in this world to teach you and to teach me about the kingdom of God, to bring hope and to bring healing into our lives. And then he goes to the cross, and on the cross, he justly died for all of my injustice. He took the punishment for my kingdom of lies, my rebellion against the one true king. He died in my place, and now he lives again so that his true story can be told through me, so that I can experience the abundant, beautiful life, the real story that he has for me. He today makes me more than a conqueror along with himself, conquering that old man, conquering that old story, conquering all of that and living a much better story. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing that the God that we rebelled against chose to come and love us and serve us and to reunite us with himself. But that old man keeps coming back. He keeps coming back and he keeps telling his lies. He keeps telling us the cheap story. You remember that old cheap story? He tries to negotiate us into becoming not more than, but less than a conqueror. He wants you to settle for the bad news in your life. He wants you to relinquish your role in the real kingdom. And he wants to return you to the false narrative. You know, it's that old story about me and and my timeline that I've got to somehow keep my head down and just do enough good or believe in the right things so that when my timeline ends I'll end up somewhere else anywhere but here and that story is weak it's cheap we talked about this a few weeks ago it's cheap it's not even it's not even good enough to compel me to change so no wonder it's not good enough to change the world around me but the old man keeps coming back and he keeps retelling that story and we saw in the first week of this series that we were given one job. We had one job, and it's to guard that old man. He comes back to tell his story over and over again, and you and I are responsible for guarding that old man, for shutting his mouth and keeping him in captivity, right? Because this is important, because this next mic on your page, your old man wants to conquer you. He doesn't only want you to be less than a conqueror. He wants to conquer you. Remember, he's your enemy. He's on the same team as the enemy of God, the accuser of God, and he wants to accuse you. He wants you to live the bad story, the cheap story. He hates your better story. Your old man hates that story. He doesn't want to hear it, and he doesn't want you to hear it. He wants the cheap story told because the real story is a threat to your old man right your real story robs everything from the old man so your old man wants you to hey 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 you know you just need to play it safe you just need to take it easy you know you just need to do what's best for you know you you need to enjoy the privileges of living in the wealthy Household, Do what feels best for you. Do what seems right to you. He doesn't want you to hear the real story. He wants to keep you in the cheap story, the one about you. 
right? He doesn't want you to remember the true story about the awesome galaxy of God that he has for you, about how incredible he is. We are here to glorify God, to magnify God. That means to look at his great galaxy of awesome and pull it in close and see how wonderful he really is. When we magnify God, we're drawing him close in. We're drawing ourselves close to him. We're pulling him close and we can see how awesome his power really is. But he doesn't want you to remember that. He wants you to magnify the other way. He wants you to think, well, God and his plan for you are really just microscopic. It's really no big deal at all. It's not like a galaxy. It's more like a tardigrade, right? It's just a little bitty nothing that, that you know, you could make a big deal of, but really it's full-grown half a millimeter long. <laughs> I mean, it really makes no difference at all. So it's not, God's plan for you is not a big deal. I tell you what's a big deal is your, is your plan for you. You know, your comfort, your satisfaction, your security, your happiness, your living at ease. Man, enjoy the wealthy house. Do what you want to do. Sounds nice, but what happens when you fall for the old man's story? What happens when you fall for the old man's story? Israel, the people of God, had been given a much better story. But they fell for the old man story. Remember, they, like us, they were held captive in the old story. They were slaves in Egypt. And they had a harsh, miserable, slave-ish existence under the whip of the Egyptians. And God said, I've got a better story for you. I've got a land that I've been setting aside for you. This will be your land, your own place to be. It's a beautiful land that I've been reserving for you. You don't need to live under this slavery anymore. Let me miraculously rescue you out and deliver you to the promised land. Oh, that's a good story. You get to live free. You get to not have to be under the whip of the Egyptians anymore. And, and, and once you get to your land, I will be your God. You will be my people. Dude, that's a good story. And so they watched the story begin to unfold, right? Moses came and, you know, let my people go, right? Remember Charlton Heston playing Moses? Am I the only old one here? Bruce is old. He, he knows. <laughs> Before your time. Okay. Just remember the Bible says liars go to hell. Okay, so... <laughs> so so Moses comes let my people go and after all the plagues God divinely miraculously rescues his people out of Egypt they're able to leave the land and they get to the sea right and they can't go any farther but Pharaoh's changed his mind and so he sends the army after them and they're coming in their chariots they got their horses and their spears and they're ready to to bring them back as slaves but God does something even more amazing and miraculous. What does he do? He parts the waters and they go across to safety on the other side. And just as they get over on the other side, that's when the Egyptian army comes rolling in to the dry land that used to be the Red Sea. And that's when God closes the waters up and he just eradicates the Egyptian army. What an incredible demonstration of the power of God to rescue you from the old story. And then right after that, he leads them across the desert and they come right up, right up to the border of the promised land. They're able to look across and see the beautiful, they've been in the desert, they see the beautiful green mountains. 
You see the trees and the valleys, the Jordan River. They, they're, they're close to the Jordan River. They can just see it. Oh, it's amazing. And obeying God, Moses sends a group of scouts, Joshua and Caleb and a bunch of others, into the promised land. He's like, okay, this is the land of promise. But God's told me to, to send you on in there. You guys go in there and you just take as much time as you need and look around and you assess what we've got to work with here and come back and report to us. So they go and they spend several weeks scoping out all of the land to see what it was like. And what they found was amazing. After being in Egypt, after being in the desert, now they're in this lush, beautiful land that's green and fertile. The crops are amazing. The fruit is amazing. I mean, heck, the grapes alone were such an astonishing, amazing fruit that it took two guys. They wanted to bring some back to show. It took two guys to carry the big, giant bunch of grapes back. They were amazed at how rich and what a blessing God's promised land was going to be for them. So they came back to make their report. They crossed back across the border and they get with the people of Israel and they had great news to tell them. In Numbers 13, here's what they say. They say, we entered the land that you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Look, here's the kind of fruit it produces. Great news. But there's also bad news. Yeah, they go on. They say, but the people living here are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites, they live in the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and Amorites, they live all up in the hill country, a bunch of rednecks up there. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, a bunch of Floridians, and along the Jordan Valley. They love the water. So there's a lot of opposition to us coming in. There's even giants there. And this bad news just freaked everyone out. Literally, everyone just gets thrown into a tizzy. They start to panic, and they literally start just crying like a bunch of big, fat babies. I'm not kidding. That's exactly what happens. And Caleb, Caleb, one of the scouts, he tries to be like, oh, oh hold on there, hold on there. And he tries to comfort them. Here's what, here's what happens in Numbers 13, 30. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses, and he says this. He makes this amazing statement of faith. He says, let's go at once. Let's go right now, right now. Let's don't wait. Let's go right now. Let's go at once to take the land. In other words, we're not going to train and do drills. We're not going to practice throwing our spears. We're not going to practice the sword fighting. We're not doing that. Let's just go. Let's just go now, right now, and take the land, he says. We can certainly conquer it. He's telling his people, shut up with the crying stop the crying we are the conquerors why are you crying god has already told the story and you win in the story it's great news why are you crying about it i think this is a great this is a great this is a great description of what faith 
really is. I mean, if I could, if I could show what faith looks like, I think this would be the snapshot right here. Faith is really actually believing God enough to obey Him even when all the circumstances are telling you you'll fail. You hear me? Real faith is actually taking a bold, impossible, obedient move when all of your circumstances are telling you to stay still. That's what faith really looks like. I, I know in America today, we like to think of faith as, oh, it's just something I believe. It's just something I believe. But dude, biblical faith is being radically obedient in the face of giants who want you to do otherwise. That's what faith is. Is that the kind of faith you have? Is that the level of trust that you have in the God who tells the good story? Do you believe his story? Or do you believe the story of the old man? The Israelites heard Caleb's call to the God story. And the whole community, Numbers 14.1, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Everybody do this. Clench your fists and put them up to your, your, your face and go, wee, wee, wee. Come on, let me hear you do it. Come on. Wee, wee, wee. Yeah, so imagine all the people of Israel do it with me. They're doing this. Wee, wee. You are terrible at this. No, I'm good. I practiced it already. All right, come on, do it with me. I want to see you do it. Come on, come on, do it with me. Get your fists up here. Turn them like this and do it with me. Here we go. Wee, wee, wee. That's what they're doing. They heard the God story, but when they heard about the old man story, the giant's story, they went to being big fat, crying, whining, sticky, tearful, gross babies, slobbering all over themselves. So they cried all night, and their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. And here's what they said when they're crying. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. They'd rather die than go and take the land God promised them. That's how chicken baby they are at this moment. If only we had died. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to slavery? Wouldn't we be better off as slaves under the whip of the Egyptians than actually go across the border into the land that God has promised? That old man story calls loudly to us, and it makes us shrivel up really fast doesn't it but Joshua and Caleb they tried to shut that old man story up real quick they tried to just stop it in its tracks so they say to all the people in Israel 
Numbers 14, 7. They say, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, and I'm not hearing a lot of things the Lord's going to be pleased in, but if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land, and he will give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people in the land. I know the circumstances look bad. I know the descendants of Anak there look huge. But they are only helpless prey to us. We're the conquerors. God's already told this story. Why are you crying like a slobbering baby? Let's go. They have no protection. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So they make this compelling closing argument of why we should go now. Let's don't wait. Let's obey God now. Let's don't wait till we're ready. Let's obey God today. And the people responded by coming up with a plan to kill Joshua and Caleb. To kill them. To throw giant rocks at their skulls until they were dead. They wouldn't obey. The people literally refused to obey. And what was the cost? God had rescued them miraculously. They had seen his work. They had heard his story. They had, showed, they had watched him back it all up. And he led them right across the desert, right up to the border of the promised land. And they could have gone right in and taken the place. But because they refused to obey, they had to wait for decades 40 years almost nobody that's in this refusing group was able to cross into the promised land they lost decades of time and thousands of lives all because they liked the old man story better than God's story they saw the giants but they couldn't remember that God is the one that had made them the conquerors. Listen to me. The old man loves it when you stand at the border and you look across that land and you can see how wonderful and beautiful it is, but he wants you to make sure to notice the giants because the giants are going to fill that land and they might just be a threat to you. So you should do what's right for you. You should take it easy. You should protect yourself. Because those giants might just kill you. Come on, for us, it might not be descendants of Anak that are giants, but what are the things that are perceived giants in our lives? Maybe it's that addiction that keeps chasing you down. Maybe it's that broken marriage that you've tried to fix and you've tried to do the right thing and it's just not coming together and it's killing you now. Maybe it's that job or that coworker or that boss or that classmate. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's fear or doubt or pride or hate. And those giant things, they're just lifting up their leg to stomp on you. And you think they can because you don't realize that you are more than a conqueror in Christ. 
What this means is that God might just be letting you look at some very difficult circumstances in your life, at some big giants that might just be out to kill you because he's about to do a miracle and do something great. He's wanting you to come home. He wants you to cross into the promise where you belong, and he will give you the victory. Can I get an amen from someone on that? What this means is, that he has a plan and he's got the story all worked out and he's worked out every single bit of it and there is no part of God's plan that's in any jeopardy by any giants whatsoever. You hear me? In other words, next blank on your page, God isn't threatened by your old man. He's not threatened by your old man. He's not threatened by that story. He's not threatened by the giants. He's not threatened by any of it. God's plan will work, and he will bring you victorious into the promise that he has for you. He's allowing your circumstances to be the case because he wants to do something great in you. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you obey him now? Because time and time again, I watch Christians say, yeah, uh, I don't feel like it. I don't really want that. That might cost me something. That might hurt a little bit. And we don't even have giants. They're descendants of Anak that threaten us. We just would rather watch more Netflix. And we let Netflix turn us into and we sing the song of the old man. But Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans 8, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Do those sound like some giant bad circumstances they seem like some awful giants and some of those definitely may feel like they might just separate me from everything I hold dear but Paul says can those things separate you from the love of God he says as it is written for your sake we're being killed all day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered then he says no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor giants nor addiction nor divorce nor broken heartedness nor loneliness, nor fear, none of that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why do we keep listening to the story of the old man? Why do we keep caving in to the story of the old man? The old man's goal is the same as Satan's goal. He's not out to destroy you. He's out to destroy God's work in you. He doesn't really care about you. He cares about defying the king of the universe and proving that God can't really be God. He wants you dead, but not because he hates you. He hates God. 
He wants you dead and separated from God. He wants to prove once and for all that he can put you out of reach of the glory of God. That's his goal. He wants to prove that God isn't really good enough to be God. But you conquer that. You defeat that. You aren't just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. Let me tell you what that means. Like the Apostle Paul, you're more, more than just a conqueror. A conqueror defeats his enemy, but more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror cancels the plans of the enemy, but more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. More than a conqueror makes the enemy his slave. A conqueror kills the enemy, but more than a conqueror enslaves the enemy. Let me show you how Paul describes that in this passage in 2 Corinthians. He says, for our present troubles, our present troubles, the things that scare you the most, Bob Coben, the things that make you worry the most about you being able to be who you're supposed to be, the things that strike terror in your heart and keep you awake at night, those giants that appear to be in your land, those are our present troubles. And Paul says to us that compared to the story of God, compared to God's galaxy of awesome, our present giants are really just small and won't last very long. Compared to God's galaxy of awesome, it's these giants that are really the tardigrades. <laughs> They're nothing. They're small. And they feel like giants, but they produce for us these giant problems, these giant awful circumstances, these things that we think are going to kill us. A conqueror, a more than conqueror says... They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. This is an amazing statement that Paul makes right here. He hasn't let the old story creep into him at all. He hasn't let the old man run free and take him captive. But he has conquered the old man and he's conquered his circumstances. How many giants did Paul face? How many times was he beaten? I don't know. Countless times. How many times was he thrown in prison for what he believed? Countless times. How many times did he go hungry? How many times did he go cold over and over and over again? He had big giants in his life trying to tear him limb from limb. But he says, I've taken those giants and now they make me more godly they serve my purposes in life they produce godliness in me he has not only conquered his enemy he has more than conquered his enemy Paul's old man raised his sword to attack Paul so that he could cut Paul's faith right out of him but Paul uses his hand of righteousness and he grabs that old man's arm and with that sword he cuts out instead of faith he cuts out worldliness he cuts out his carnality he cuts out the things that separate him from God 
He says that the more we suffer, the more we are like Jesus. The more we suffer, the more we identify with him. The more we suffer, the more we take on his godliness. I will not allow my giants to turn me into a crying, slobbery baby. Instead, I will look at those giants and say, no, you work for me. You serve the purposes of God in my life. I will not be defeated by you but you will become my slave. That's who you are in Christ. You are more than a conqueror when, next blank on your page, when I make my circumstances my slave. That's when I become more than a conqueror. When I see my terrible circumstances as servants of God's better story, like Esther did. Esther had some bad circumstances, all of her people were due to be killed on a very specific day. They were going to kill all the Jewish people. But she found herself the one person that could speak to the king on behalf of all of her people. She knew that if she didn't speak, all her people would be killed. But she knew if she did approach the king unsummoned, that she could be killed. Her circumstances looked terrifying. But she says this in Esther 4.16. She says to her people, Go gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I will do the same. My maids will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and I will stand. And if I must die, I must die. She looked at her circumstances. She says, I will step across the border. I will enter the promised land. I will do what needs to be done. And if I die, I die. Those circumstances won't kill me, but they will serve the purposes of God. And you know what? They did. Because she went and she crossed the border. She stepped into the presence of the king. She spoke on behalf of her people. And the Jewish people were allowed to live. And the enemies of the Jewish people were the ones that were put to death. Esther was more than a conqueror. So were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had some terrible, awful circumstances. They were deported to Babylon where everybody had to bow to the golden idol. Every time the music plays, you got to bow and worship the golden idol. They wouldn't. They knew who their God was, and they were not going to bow. And so everybody's bowing except for these three kids. I mean, they were kids. They were probably early teenagers, and they would not bow. They saw the circumstances and said, nope, that's not going to kill us. So the king has them apprehended. They're brought in before the presence of the king, and the king's like, all right, we're going to give you boys one last chance. We're going to play the music, and you're going to bow, and if you don't bow, we're going to throw you into this fiery furnace, and you're going to be dead in just a few minutes unless you bow to my big golden idol. And these three kids, these three kids looked up at the king. And here's what they said in Daniel 3. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. If we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
They looked at their circumstances. They said, we will conquer this. And they were thrown into the fire. I love it when Christians, I love it when Christians talk about how, well, if I'm, if I'm under the blood of Jesus, I can't get the COVID. <laughs> if I'm protected by the blood of Christ, I can't get cancer. I can't get in a car accident. You know, I can't have bad stuff happen to me. Well, that's not at all the matter. These guys were willing to obey Christ and they were literally thrown into the fire. They were in the dang fire, but they walked out of the fire. They survived through the fire and they had somebody join them in the fire. Who was it? It was Jesus himself joined them in the fire. That's right. So they did not let their circumstances conquer them. They were more than conquerors. Paul himself talked about this. I'm skipping one, Larry. Paul himself talked about this. He said, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three, this is a different kind of stone, Susie. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in cities, in deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm he even talks about that thorn in the flesh that the old man uses to accuse him and in 2 Corinthians 10 Paul says but we destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ we don't wah, wah, wah. we say I am more than a conqueror I try to live this myself as much as I can. It was a few years ago, I was invited to go with a band, a Christian band to India. They had this great idea where they wanted to rent a bunch of outdoor areas and do big giant concerts for different communities across India to evangelize India. Great idea. The only problem is it is illegal to evangelize in India. You can't do that. You get arrested and you get thrown into India prison. Not sure what all that is involved with, but it's not like it is here. So they were like, hey, Dusik, uh, tell you what, you go with us and we'll do the music part and you do the gospel part, okay? And I was like, uh, let me pray about it, okay. And we went to India. And we spent a couple of weeks there in India, and we had several large outdoor concerts in small towns, you know, rural little areas, way out here and way over there, somewhere in the slums, you know, where we'd have the big stage and the lights, and they'd put on the big show. Hundreds of people would come out, hundreds of people. I'd walk out on stage, you know, here's the plan. The band will do a, a set. They'll do like six or seven songs. And then they'll take a little break, a little intermission. And then it was my job during intermission to come out and be like, hey, my name is Steve. And I want to tell you the story of why all of us gringos came all the way over here to India to talk to you. And here it is. It's Jesus and to give them the gospel. 
And then uh, when I'm done, then the band comes back out and I go back and, you know, show over. We, we do the whole prayer to receive Christ and everything during my little invitation time. So it's cool. And we had several of these shows and they went off with no problem in these little rural areas and in the slums. Great. But then it was the last night, the big night, the one that we knew that more people than anywhere would come. We went to the big metropolis of Calcutta, India. And we had rented this giant park, huge park there in the middle of town. And they rented these giant staging and big LCD screens and lights. I mean, it was the biggest deal of all of the deals that we had. And the concert started and it was crazy. It wasn't hundreds, it was thousands of people crammed into this park to come see this free concert. And I mean, just, I mean just to see an ocean of people there. It was amazing to see this. And they did their set and came down to the last song, and I take the stage, I walk up the steps, you know, in the back, and I come across, and there's this, you know, there's this uh, part that sticks out in the front of the stage, and I walk out as the song ends, and I stand right at the front, and I'm just practically surrounded by these thousands of people. It's an amazing thing. And I had already noticed earlier in the night that there were a bunch of uniformed and armed policemen in the crowd scattered around. And I knew that tonight might be the critical night. And as I took the front of that stage, surrounded by all those people, there were about a half a dozen of those armed uniformed police officers that took up a position right at the end of the stage and stood there with their arms crossed. And on that stage, I'm not kidding, I swallowed hard and I said, God, you brought me here for such a time as this. Thanks, Esther. Here we go. Let's, uh, let's do this. And I went ahead and I preached the gospel, full-on gospel presentation quoted all the verses I could think of to quote, threw everything I could throw at them about Jesus. I invited people to pray right where you are to receive Jesus. I had everybody, thousands of people, bowed their heads, and lots of people that night asked Jesus into their hearts. Man, it was a win that so many, they, they made connections with a couple of campus ministries, and we just had hundreds of people pray to receive Christ. And I said, amen. And I said, thank you so much. These people are going to be in contact with you right now, but the band's going to come play a couple more songs. And I turned, and I walked back down the little ramp and walked across the stage, and I got to the top of the steps to go back down again. stage was about this tall. I get to the top of the steps, and I look down, and there's those six police officers at the bottom of the steps. So I walked down the steps and I got in this semicircle of these police officers. That's when I figured out that they hired only the most giant Indians they could find to be police officers. <laughs> and they all stood kind of over me and one of them pointed his finger right up in my face. He says, you talked about Jesus tonight. And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And they looked at each other and said, you come with us. And they 
you know, so we, I walked around behind the stage. We got around behind the LCD screens. They had a bunch of their cars parked back there. So we walked around, and, and they stopped me, and, and, and they all gathered, and they just closed in tight to me. I mean, they just surrounded me. So I'm standing in this circle of these police officers, and I look up at the one right in front of me, and he says, now we want to receive Jesus too. And, yeah. And so this little gringo just prayed to receive Christ with them right there, did the same little salvation prayer I do with you guys every Sunday, and then I gave them all the T-shirts we could give them. <laughs> take some T-shirts. Hey, take, your kids want some, right? Take, take those. Take the CDs, you know, all that stuff. And what I'm telling you is, what I'm telling you, the giants can look like they're about to take you out, but you are more than a conqueror. You are not here for defeat. God has already told a much better story. In 1 John 5, John says, every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith, through taking a bold, obedient, right now step, even when the circumstances tell you to sit down and shut up. Because Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So my promise, my declaration is that to the best of my ability, last blank on your page, I will trust God's better story. Will you? Will you trust his better story? Will you become the more than conqueror that he's designed you to be? 